Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I've been thinking about my brother-in-law, wonderful guy. His name's Owen Wagoner, and uh, he's retired now and enjoys life in a lot of different ways. He's a little bit older than I am, in great health. Among a variety of other things, he was a commercial pilot for years. He did crop dusting and things like that, in addition to his major career owning an insurance agency. But he, in addition to flying the big planes, he built a couple of single-engine planes, built them all by himself in his garage, one in St. Louis and one in South Carolina. We got to see him working on the last one. We were visiting there one time, and he'd done all the research. He got all the parts. He meticulously labeled them, had them all out, spread out when we were there in his garage on different tables and stuff like that. And he meticulously put them together and finally believed that that plane would fly. Well, what's next? trusting it enough <laughs> that he got in it, started the engine, and raced down the runway and put it up in the air. And he enjoys flying it a lot now, and he's made some some fun videos with his alter ego. That's another story. You know, there's a big difference in believing something, intellectually believing something, mind belief, and actually trusting that it will do what you believe. Paul Young, the author of The Shack and many other books, recently said, that's why we have In God We Trust on our printed money, to show and remind ourselves that it's not our money or our work or our achievements that we trust in, it's God that we trust in. Well, that's especially true today in the state of our country and the state that our world is in. Most of us listening believe that God is good and that God works all things for the good and God's got this, whatever it is, but do we actually trust him? Not trust him that we won't get sick, but trust him that he'll be with us and we'll ultimately be okay if we should get sick. Not just trust him that we'll be okay financially, but trust him that he'll be with us and we'll ultimately be okay even if we lose our job or if our business fails or if we should go bankrupt. Not just trust him that we'll always have a wonderful middle-class home and lifestyle, but trust him that we'll be okay even if we don't. Not just trust him that the riots will stop, our candidate will win the presidency, the virus will go away, but trust him that we'll be okay even if those things don't happen. So, what about us? I've come to see that trust and confession are two sides of the same coin. But I confess, confession isn't what I used to confess it was. 
Again, referring to Paul Young, I heard a great interview with him recently with a couple of other friends of mine, Mike Sinker and Catherine Toon, and it just really influenced my thinking on this whole trust thing. Now, I could go back to you and give you a lot of research that I've done and I've got from other people about the original word that we translate is confess, and and that's important to know. And, you know, if you want that stuff, let me know and I'll send it to you. But I want to just net it out today without going into the nitty-gritty there. The concept of confession, as we've come to know it in the Western world, in Christianity and religion, is not at all what Jesus and the early church believed. The original word that unfortunately we translate as confess today, the original word meant to agree with another, to say the same thing as. Now, you might say to me, well, Paul, I made this airplane in my garage. I believe it will fly. And I might say, well, I agree with you. I've seen you do that before. You know what you're doing. I believe it'll fly. That's saying the same thing as another. That's agreeing. But then you might say to me, okay, Paul, get in. It's a two-passenger plane. I'll be in front. I'll be flying it. Get in behind me, and let's go for the maiden voyage. Let's take it up in the air. Well, then your belief's not going to mean anything. It's your trust that will determine whether you get in the plane and fly. We've talked about several things the last few months, like the truth about what we call the word sin which is not the word that was used in writing the Bible. The word actually means missing the mark of believing that God is pure light and love, and there's no darkness in God at all. Now, hopefully those of you who are listening believe that. We've learned that what we call sin is not even an issue with God. Hopefully you all believe that now. We've learned that forgiveness, the original word, not the word forgive, the original Greek and Hebrew word, actually means to lift something off of someone, to take it away, to release the person from anything we might have believed they owe us as a result of whatever it was that they did, not keep it on a list, and never, ever bring it up again. We've learned, and hopefully you believe, that we've never, ever been separated from God, and we never, ever will be. We've learned that God is pure light and never-ending, never-failing love, unconditional love, and there's no darkness in God at all. We've learned that God's grace is overflowing, abundant, more than sufficient for anything and everything in our lives. We've learned those things. Now I've got to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you today, do we actually trust God that his plane will really fly? Are we willing to get in, take off, go up into the air where the view is amazing, the thrill is wonderful, and the freedom is compelling, or do we really not trust That's where our understanding of this word confession comes in. Have we actually changed our mind, metanoia, changed our mind about what we've been taught about religion? Many times when I talk about the things I've just talked with you about here with people, people who've been trained, religiously trained, an organized religion will go, well, what about 1 John 1, 9? That's a real standard. What about that? The New King James says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will then forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about that verse? Well, we're going to talk about that. That's just a terrible, gross mistranslation of what the original meant. You know, most 
Christian churches, Christian worship services, have a time of corporate confession. Many of them have that every Sunday, some once a month, some once a quarter, some occasionally. We used to do that in our church. Corporate confession, it's written right on the bulletin. Confession, meaning examining yourselves and everybody else you're involved with, remembering any and all sins you've committed since our last time of corporate confession, and then being really, really, really sorry for them, experiencing great shame, just feeling awful. The more miserable, the more better, because you know that you've offended God and you've hurt God, and the more that you can feel badly about that, the closer you're going to get to tripping that trigger where God will actually then forgive you. Now, most churches that follow this pattern start out by having corporate confession time, first of all, about the sins of the whole world. And the pastor or the worship leader will lead that time and saying, oh, God, we forgive you for all these sins that have happened in the world recently. And then they go through them. And then you feel shameful and miserable about those sins, even though you might not have committed it. And then a corporate confession time of feeling shameful and miserable about the sins of your forefathers in the nation that you live in. Oh, God, we're so sorry that our founding fathers did this or last year or 100 years ago or whatever. Feeling really bad about those. Then as if that shame and sorriness and miserable feeling's not enough, confess the sins of your church. Actually, they don't go very far with that. They kind of sugarcoat that and throw some softball things in. But finally, they ended up with personal confession. Let's, here's what they do. I know because I did it. Let's think real hard and dredge up the memories of every personal sin you've committed since the last time we did this, last Sunday, deeply feeling that shame. Now, you can't just say it. You've got to sincerely internalize it. You've got to get to that point where it really counts. You've got to be so miserable about how you've offended and hurt God, especially after all he's done for you. You've got to believe that your sincere, miserable feelings and confession magically triggered the confession meter that God finally had to give in and forgive you. And now you're okay. And you can go on till next week when we do this again. That's what we've been taught confession is. Well, now, because of our understanding of God's light and unconditional love and grace, now because we know Jesus, the exact representation of God, who is God, never ever used that controlling, manipulating, dark method on anybody, because of that, most of us, myself included, would say, ah, I don't believe that concept of confession anymore. Great. Are you willing to get in the plane and fly? Do you actually trust God that what you believe about confession is true. Here's the mirror translation of 1 John 1, 9, which much better, more accurately conveys the original meaning. 1 John 1, 9, the mirror translation. When we communicate what God says about our sins, it's a lot different than if we confess our sins. When we communicate what God says about our sins, that's what the word actually meant. We discover what he believes concerning our redeemed oneness and innocence. We are cleansed from every distortion we believed about ourselves. Likeness, being made in the image and likeness of God, is redeemed. 
That's a great translation of the original meaning. That's pure light with no trace of darkness. Now, I can't make myself trust that. I can't make you trust that. But I know God wants us to trust him with that. So how do we cross that line? How do we get into that plane knowing it will fly? Listen carefully. We can't. We can't do it. Only Jesus can. And that's where trust originates. That's where trust is and will forever be. In Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21, we abbreviate Galatians with G-A-L. And G-A-L 2-2021 might be familiar to you. That's my email address. Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Paul says, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine for Christ lives his life as me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of Christ, the faith of Christ, not our faith in Christ. My new new life, Paul says, is empowered by the faith of Christ, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, and now he dispenses his life into me. My new life in Christ is empowered by the faith of Christ. See, it's a moment-by-moment experience of actually trusting Jesus, agreeing with Jesus, not just saying the same thing as Jesus, but being willing to get into the plane that he made with him and trusting that it will fly. And get this. This is super important. Trusting him that even if the plane crashes, you will ultimately be okay because he's with you and he's in you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That means any time that we're tempted to worry, to be afraid, to be ashamed, to feel separated from God, any time we're tempted to feel like we've offended God, feel like he's going to punish us, feel like we have to confess as religion taught us, instead to say and believe and trust Jesus living in us and as us, and not even go down that dark path. There's no darkness in God's pure light. Jesus never did that stuff, and as he is in this world, so are we. I want to share with you all something that I received yesterday, one day before I'm recording this. It'll be some time after you all hear it. I didn't know the person I got this from, not even Facebook friends with them, but because of you all partnering with us to minister to people all over the world via podcasts like this and videos and books and things, this person saw one of our videos and wrote me the following. He said, I cannot begin to tell you how much I needed to hear this right at this very moment. With all the craziness going on in our world, I seem, all I seem to hear are posts from people saying, repent, Jesus is coming back any day, which he says I've heard most of my life, like it hadn't happened every day. The devil this and the devil that. Say these words and you'll be saved, etc. He said, I was saved long ago, but I've fallen short so many times since then. He said, I've distanced myself from the idea of hell, but at times all those fears come rushing back in. I worry, what if I'm wrong? I could just never understand how one minute I could hear God is all loving and all powerful, but the next minute here, if you mess up or don't do this or that, he's going to burn you for all of eternity because that's how divine love works. Or he's just got to do that because he's got to be just. He closes with saying, I've basically done away with the idea of hell, 
But I do worry about being separated from God and that when I die, that will be it forever. But, he said, seeing your video has given me hope once again. Thank you for all your videos. And I want to thank you, those of you who pray for me and encourage me, those of you who support what we're doing financially, all of those things. You make it possible for us to do this and to help and encourage someone like that person who I don't know where or how he got a hold of that video, but God used it to impact him. Now, let's close with a time of corporate trusting, not corporate confession. Pray with me. We're going to okay to pray with your eyes open, by the way. Jesus did. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We not only believe what you say, but we're in the plane you built, and we want to fly with you. Lord, we trust you. We agree with you. We say the same thing that you say. Sure, we will have trouble in this world, but we take heart and we take joy because we trust that you've overcome the world and you're in us and we're in you and we're one with you and Papa and the Holy Spirit and we always will be. We trust you because we know you will live as us in everything that happens. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you all for being part of another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. See you next time. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.